Eternal God and Father, Lord, we come once again this morning to your throne of grace in Jesus' name. We thank you for the opportunity we have to come together today for a time of fellowship and service. For the Bible says to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but to encourage one another and so much the more as we see the day approaching. We pray now that you would use me this morning to speak for the mighty counsel of God from your word. For the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the divide asunder of soul and spirit and joints of error. It is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. This we pray by faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Unto us a son is given. This is a completely different view from up here at this pulpit. Pastor, it is every Sunday. And Jesus considered Christ this verse. December is a special month for all of us. Each year we celebrate Christmas. It has always been special to me. December 1999 was attending a church in Maywood, Illinois. James Memorial AME Church. It was at that church I was called to preach the age of 14, 15 years of age. In fact, it was an AME church and they believed in some of the spiritual gifts such as word of wisdom, word of knowledge, prophecy. So the pastor of the church at that time asked me at 14, 15, Percy stood up, right middle service, stood up. He said to me, we see you following God. God has a call for your life, and nothing you do outside that's going to work for you. This is at 14, 15 in church. And they're absolutely right. I left the church maybe a year or two after that, at the age of 16. Fast forward four or five years after that, I walked in the door of the Pacific Garden Mission. December 30th, tomorrow, will be 15 years. December 25th of 2009, 10 years ago, I met my wife, Leah. We met Christmas Day at my pastor's house. The pastor who ordained me at the church in the South of Chicago at New Eden Baptist Church. So we met Christmas Day 10 years ago. My wife reminds me I was late. Because I got lost, to be honest, I wasn't not still that good direction. I got lost. But she said, when I came through the door, she said, because I'm not making this up, you can ask me the service. When she saw me, she knew right away that I was her husband. No, she didn't say that. I made that up. She didn't say that. I made that up. <laughs> but. <laughs> What she did say, she did say this. I might make this part up. I was joking about that part. I had to joke before I said this. This is going to sound like a joke, but she actually said this. Not that day, but years later. She said when she saw me, she said she saw a prince. Now, that time, I was in Bible college on a Bible college budget. So, 
Groceries consisted of cereal from Aldi's for $2, ramen noodles. So I weighed about 180 pounds soaking wet at that time. Thin as a rail. I had on these brown corduroys. I was trying to look preppy, but they ended up being, she didn't like that too much. She said they were kind of flooded, she reminded me of that too. <laughs> and on glasses, embraces at that time. Nothing about that said Prince. These tight corduroys on. Thin as a rail. Glasses on, braces. And so I asked her what she mean by that. And she was referring to the spirituality she saw. I didn't have any money at that time. I didn't look like I was well off. But she saw in me what any Christian wife or husband for that matter see in her spouse. The Spirit of God. So we met Christmas 10 years ago. My wife was in Bible college at the time. She was attending House Anderson Bible College in Indiana. And I was in Day Spring in Lake Zurich. She went to college with the intention of being a pastor's wife. And I went to college with the intention of one day being a pastor's home church. That was my motive 10 years ago. And in about a year or so, that's going to actually happen. We're starting our church from scratch in Maryville, Indiana. So it may seem abrupt here, but we've been thinking about this for 10 years now. And it's clear to us at this point the time is now. So when I think about Christmas or December, all of those thoughts go to my mind. Get called to preach, meet my future wife. Above all of that, reflecting on the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You look at Vine's dictionary, and you think about the Lord Jesus Christ. He's referred to as the Anointed One, the Messiah, the Son, the Only Begotten of God, King of the Jews, the Lion of Judea, the Comforter, the Counselor, the Prophet, the Suffering Servant, servant the Lamb of God, the High Priest, the Day Spring from one high, Dick Star. And his preeminence and authority is seen by him being called Lord, Head, Prince, Chief Shepherd, Chief Cornerstone, the Word of God, the Firstborn, the Firstfruits, and the Forerunner. Jesus came into the world in the fullness of time. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth the Son, made of a woman, made under the law. You think about possibly the most well-known verse in the Bible, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. From the Old Testament, we learn a lot about this future Messiah. The Old Testament teaches that Christ would come out of Israel, that he would be born a Jew as a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that he would come from the tribe of Judah, a branch from the stem of Jesse, from the throne of David, born in Bethlehem, which is recorded in Micah chapter 5, 
verse 2. Born of a virgin, that his coming will be announced by forewarning, that the Messiah will be God, that he will spend part of his childhood in Egypt. He will suffer and make atonement for our sins, that he will ride to Jerusalem on a colt, that he will be given gall and vinegar to drink on a cross. No one, not one of his bones will be broken, which is contrary to Roman's practice at that time. And that men would cast lots for his glory. This is all found in the Old Testament before the Messiah came to the earth. You think about the Lord Jesus Christ. A lot of thoughts come to your mind. You can't think about the Son of God without thinking about the miracles that Jesus performed. Is that right? A miracle is set aside of a lower law by the higher law of God. I personally have no problem believing in the miracles of the Bible. Some people think they're fairy tales. Here's my simple belief concerning the miracles of God's word. If Genesis chapter 1 is true, the rest of the Bible is true. If what happened in Genesis 1 is accurate, and I do believe in that, that God created everything in six literal days, then I have no problem believing eternal water into one. I have no problem believing that most part of the Red God did all that in six days, and we believe that, then I personally have no problem believing in the miracles of the Word of God. Jesus turned water into wine. There are about 35 to 40 miracles recorded in the Gospels. Demonstrating this power over nature, as recorded in Matthew chapter 8. His power over devils, as we see in Mark chapter 5. His power over disease, as we see in Matthew 9 and verse 6. And his power over death, as we see in the testimony of Lazarus. John chapter 11, 43 to 44. Let me say that Jesus still has power over nature, power over devils, power over disease, and yes, power even over death. The hypostatic union, theological term, which describes how God, the Son, Jesus Christ, took on human nature, yet remained fully God at the same time. Jesus always has been God, but at the incarnation, Jesus had became a human being or a man. The Bible says in John chapter 1, in verse 14, concerning that, in John chapter 1, in the 14th verse, concerning God becoming a man, the Bible says, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. I believe we too, like Jesus, should be full of grace and also full of truth. We need both. As God, Jesus claimed equality with the Father, as found in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. He claimed attributes that only can be attributed to God. Omnipresent, omniscience, omnipotent. Everywhere present at the same time, all-powerful, 
and he has all wisdom and knowledge. You think about that. Why wouldn't you and I pray to him every day? If we serve a God who is present everywhere at the same time, he has all wisdom and he has all knowledge. Why don't we pray more? Why do we struggle to spend time with God? Why are we so uncomfortable at times in God's presence? As God, Jesus had creative power. He had power over nature. He receives worship due only to God. And as God, he accepted the testimony of Thomas concerning them. The Bible says in John chapter 20, verse 25, the other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord, but he said to them, except I shall see in his hands the prints of his nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, again his disciples were with them, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut. It stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. How many know that when Jesus is in a room, there's still peace? When he's in your spirit, when he's in your heart, when God's in a the room, there is a divine peace. The Bible refers to it as the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. Then said he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger. And behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it to my side. And be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, What we have said, My Lord and my God. So the scripture in the New Testament clearly teaches Jesus was God. And it also teaches that he was a man for what we believe is 33 and a half years. By the way, it's actually interesting that each, our, the, the vertebrates in our backs is actually 33. We thought that was significant. God doesn't do anything random. His handprints are all over us. And we were created, our spirit, soul, and body. There are constant reminders around us of God. I really believe that. When you go outside and you see nature itself, that's a reminder of the power and grace of God. The Bible says in Psalms 19 and verse 1 that heavens declare the glory of God. Me personally, I can't look out to the sky and look at the moon, look at the stars, and not think about the God created all these things. It becomes natural to me. In fact, that's what they call in Bible college natural revelation. It is God revealing Himself through nature. So you got to overlook a lot of evidence that proves it's not a God. Amen. I don't know how you can go outside and not think there's a God. I don't know how you can live your life and not know that there is a God that's in heaven. So as God, He was also a man. He was made like us in order to be a faithful high priest, as the Bible says in Hebrews 2 and verse 17. He was born under the law to redeem us from the curse of the law. He had human names, and the, the name Son of Man is used 77 times in the New Testament. He was subject to the laws of human development, which means he grew up like any other boy. It's hard for me to imagine Jesus, the same age as my son Noah. It's hard to think about that. Changing diapers, 
convincing them to follow rules. Good luck with that. Got another 18 years to, to teach them. Amen. So pray for me. I got, I got an assignment ahead of me. Part of it is to reap what you sow. I think God's going to be back from my house and house today. Comes back. Amen. Isn't it amazing how we forget how we were? We grew up. We get so holy and so pious. Come on. You were a teenager once. I know you're holy now. You love God. That's great. That wasn't always the case. Amen, somebody. You know, you weren't holy your whole life. I don't care what you say. You had to learn to. Okay, let me move on. He was subject to the laws of human development. He increased in wisdom, as we do. He learned obedience through the things that he suffered. I have that in common with Jesus. I didn't learn it easy. I learned obedience through suffering. There's something about pain. Brokenness. Makes you take God more serious, doesn't it? I grew up in a church. Most of you may not know that. I did not get saved at PGM. I got saved at church at the age of 12. I attended James Memorial Christian Academy. I knew about Jesus long before I came to PGM. But it was just that. Head knowledge. Wasn't serious. Wasn't sincere. In fact, I was in church like a number of young people. Not all, but a number of young people. Because I had to. Right? I was forced to. In fact, I remember when we first started going to church, I was about 11 and 12. I was a big football fan. And my thought was, I can't watch the Bears. Whereas now, it's nothing to miss. But that time, it was something that we wanted. At that point, it was a disappointment. That was my first thought. I can't sit home on Sundays and watch football all day. So, it's one thing to know about God. Something completely different to actually know God personally. I knew about God at 12. Christmas school, we had to memorize verses. I memorized Ephesians 4, 32 at age 11. Still working on that one. Be kind, right? <laughs> one to another. Tender article. Oh, a long time ago. But to put into practice is something completely different. So Christ, like you and I, he learned obedience to the things he suffered. He worked as a carpenter. He was tempted, yet without sin. He even got hungry from time to time. Thirsty, he became weary. He loved, he showed compassion. He even got angry at times, and he got grieved. He possessed the body, soul, and the spirit, according to John 1, 14, Matthew 26, 38, and Luke 23, and verse 46. So clearly from Scripture, Jesus was God and also man. Those of us here today in this room who have been fortunate enough to have a son or sons, if you don't mind, let me see your hand if you have a son or sons. How many are still happy about that? Let me see I met some parents that can't stand their own kids. That's crazy to me, but hey, that's, that's, that happens. So, many of us here today are fortunate enough to have our own sons. My son Noah will be four in May. I have a picture on my phone now, and I didn't do this for this message, of the first day Noah came home. I remember how I felt that day, just that, that pride. 
right? This is my boy, this is my son. You feel good about that, don't you? Was it just me or you all that? How many of you were not happy when you saw your son? So if you're like me, you were happy today, correct? You, you, were, you felt pride. You thank God for that. You're, you're, you're grateful for a number of things. It is hard to believe that my son will be four in a few months. For many people across this country, the birth, the growth, development of their sons, that dream turns into a nightmare. The parents who get phone calls that their son life was taken on a battlefield. My grandmother, who received the phone call, and I happened to be at the house that day, I think about my God's divine promise, nothing happens on the promise state, by the way. 1989, my father passed away at the age of 24. So, a number of people who have been blessed of sons have also felt the pain of losing that son. There's been a lot of comments over the last two years I've been in Uptown from the pulpit concerning African Americans, in particular, African American men. Well, as an African American man, I have my thoughts too. Here is a quote from Booker T. Washington that was written in 1901. And after hearing this, you would think it was written in 2019. The world should not pass judgment upon the Negro, especially the Negro youth, too quickly and too harshly. The Negro boy has obstacles, discouragements, temptations to battle that are little known to those not situated as he is. When a white boy undertakes a task, it is taken for granted he will succeed. On the other hand, people are usually surprised if the Negro boy is not failing. In a word, the Negro youth starts with the presupposition against them. Booker T. Washington, 1901. You say, person, have you experienced that? Yes. People are surprised when I tell them I'm a school teacher, which tells me they assume I'm not intelligent. People are surprised to say, I'm married. I've got comments. You're so well spoken, which means you thought I would be well spoken. So, this comment from 1901. It is still true in 2019, and soon to be 2020. Martin Luther King Jr., who was the most quoted black man on the planet, he has received almost a hero worship. And with that comes a tendency to be idealistic about his message. Everyone loves the I Have a Dream speech, with statements such as, I look to a day when people will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. That's still not true yet. Amen. However, 
1966, King said in Mississippi that our nation has a choice. Either you give the Negro his God-given rights and his freedom, or face the fact of continual social disruption and chaos. 1966. In 2020, in a few days, we still have social disruption and chaos. Although half of the people shot and killed by police are white, that's true, black Americans are shot at a disproportionate rate. They account for just 13% of the population, but more than a quarter of police shootings. The disparity is even more pronounced among unarmed victims, of whom more than a third are black. Compared to their numbers and overall population, an unarmed, unarmed black man is about four times more likely to be killed by police than an unarmed white man. White Americans have more wealth than black Americans, regardless of education level. These are facts. A black man with a college degree may have a medium income of $23,000 at the least, as opposed to a white person with a college degree of $180,000. So, when we talk about the prison population, the problems within Chicago, it's very easy to target the youth who are committing those crimes. What's not easy to do is go back to the 60s and ask the question, how did drugs get to black communities in the first place? But we don't want to have a conversation. We in a church must overcome the sin of false humility. False humility uses religious terms to justify cruel or unquestionable behavior. Having a preoccupation with self, which people can see. Listen to others only in order to speak into their lives. That's false humility. Admit small sins, but ignore major sins, which is all about, all about image control. Using self as the example, as opposed to Christ being the standard for others' performance. Affecting a humble tone of voice while saying proud and arrogant things. That's false humility. Profess love for God and others, but act in a cruel way. A love of imposing opinions on others as truth and an almost enjoyment in judging others are all signs of false humility. And false humility will turn people off from the church. The spiritual gold that gives pure sight is love. The unification of all things is possible because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel includes the reconciliation of Jews and Gentiles into one new humanity. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were off, are made nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ. Kindness is the only service that will stand the storms of life and not wash out. It will wear well and be remembered long after the prism of politeness or the complexion of curiosity has faded away. That's a quote by Abraham Lincoln. Silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless 
Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. That's a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. As I close, unto us a son is given. And when you have Jesus, you have everything that you need. When you have Jesus, you have Abraham's friend, Isaac's substitute, Jacob's Shiloh, Moses' rock, Miriam's son, David's shepherd, Solomon's wisdom, Samson's strength, Isaiah's lamb, Jeremiah's bomb, Ezekiel's will, Daniel's stone, Matthew's king, Mark's servant, Luke's great physician. When you have Jesus, you have everything that you need. My timer is off. That was 30 minutes on the head. That's pretty good. I'm going to close in prayer. Amen. Father God, everyone, we come to your throne of grace this morning in Jesus' name. We thank you that the Son of God came to this earth. And that through him and him alone, we can have the free gift of eternal life. For the Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. This is our prayer by faith in Jesus' name. Amen.